You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right. So, you know, sometimes it isn't enough to just listen to a show every week. Sometimes you want to get involved in a community. Sometimes you want to hang out with like-minded people. And uh, to that end, I have started a Discord server. So Discord is a platform primarily for gamers, for, you know, a bunch of sweaty, unbathed gamer boys like me who live in basements. And so it appeals to, like, my aesthetic. Like, I, I get onto Discord and I'm like, I feel like I can be as sweaty and unbathed and nerdy as I can be, as I want to be here. But a lot of content creators are co-opting it to host their own communities. And that's what I've done as well. And so I have a Discord server for Sacred Tension, and it is a booming community. I'm absolutely kind of stunned <laughs> by, by how active and awesome it is, and by a lot of the conversations on there. We talk about everything from religion to sharing memes to the latest religious news. To, I mean, literally all kinds of stuff. Politics. We, we talk about it all on there. We all hang out. It's a lot of fun. And it's uh, mostly Satanists, pagans, progressive Christians, and several other, you know, weird people. So it, it's, uh, you know, if you're a degenerate, if you're a sodomite, uh, if you're a pagan, you'll probably fit right in. But also, if you're, if you're not a degenerate or, or a heathen or a heretic, you're also welcome too. You might feel a bit out of place, but you're still welcome. We love everyone. So the link to my Discord is in the show notes beneath this episode. Check it out. I would absolutely love to have you. Also, I always have to thank my patrons for making this episode possible. My patrons are the lifeblood of the show, not only for this show, but also for everything else I'm doing. So if you like the live shows that Rock Candy has been putting on, if you like the other ep if you like the other shows that Rock Candy is producing, Bible Bash, Bubble and Squeak, Eleventy Life, you supporting me on Patreon allows me to have more margin to focus on helping to develop those other shows. It gives me more margin to work with Rock Candy and to do live shows. It also helps to feed my cat children and pay the mortgage. So it is enormously helpful. And the latest patrons who I have to thank are Kate, Saren Mithsarn, Ash Nabirius, Returned Knoll, Adam, Akasha, Patrick, Devi Dev, John, Billiam Raj, Tina, W.M. Holy Oak, and Kelly. Thank you all so much, my own personal lords and saviors. Also, finally, 
we are still growing the Rock Candy Podcast Network. We have amazing plans for the network. And if you like what we're doing here at Rock Candy, if you like kind of the the spirit of weirdness and quirkiness and creating a better world through embracing weirdness and curiosity, then uh, please send me your pitch. If you have an idea for a show or you are working on a show, I would love to hear from you. Go to stephenbradfordlong.com forward slash contact and I would love to hear what you're working on. Maybe we can produce it. All right. Well, I am absolutely thrilled to have the great and powerful Peterson Toscano on the show again today. <laughs> Peterson, how are you? Great and powerful. I don't know. That's a lot. <laughs> I, I could do one. But I don't know about both of them together. That's a lot. You can definitely do both of them together. You are all of the above. No. So, Peterson, I absolutely love you and your work. And we are here to talk about one of your shows on, on Rock Candy called bubble and squeak so we've we go back a bit you know we mm-hmm. you know we've been doing episodes together about once a year or so <laughs> once or twice a year we've talked about uh recovering from ex-gay therapy we've talked about climate change and uh now you're part of the rock candy podcast network with your own show called bubble and squeak you also produce bible bash but that is a conversation for a whole that is a topic for a whole other conversation it's fantastic so what is Bubble and Squeak? Well, Bubble and Squeak is my playground. I, I love audio. In fact, recently I had an MRI for a back thing. Have you ever had an MRI before? I haven't. Okay, so they put you in this, oh my gosh, it's like this big giant machine and you're like cramped in there and they leave the room because you can't have another person in there for some reason. And then the strangest I, noises. You really, it really just sounds like you're describing my you know, my weekend at the at the gay bondage club, honestly. <laughs> well, it, could, it is a bit like bondage because you can't move. You're just exactly. kind of stuck there. It's the most <laughs> extraordinary noises it makes. Like a lot of people hate it. But for me, as somebody who loves audio, it was like such a surreal, beautiful experience. And so I love audio. I've done radio on and off for years. I was actually trained as a missionary to run a radio station in Zambia. Long story there. And so I have these skills and I just wanted to push myself and have a place where I can just try new things. Radio dramas, playing with sound, all all sorts of personal stories. And Bubble and Squeak became this catch-all. And the title comes from a dish in England that's um, sort of this basic fry. Like you have whatever's left over from the day before you put into a frying pan, maybe with some eggs, and it's called Bubble and squeak. That's awesome. So in the show, you go through like these different segments. You have three different segments each time. So what are those segments? They they break down basically, the first one is some kind of a nonfiction. So it's either me telling a personal story of a real thing that happened, and they're usually pretty strange, uh, or I'm interviewing people, sometimes people from other podcasts, uh, sometimes uh, just a friend, you know, maybe even somebody from a different uh, episode that I did of Citizens Climate Radio, a, a part that maybe I couldn't get out on the regular air because it was just it was just a little too different for a mainstream audience. Mm. So that's the first part, nonfiction. The second part is almost always fiction, where it's um, a, a radio play, uh, a monologue. Uh, it could be a prank phone call, sometimes to the past, sometimes mm. to the present, sometimes <laughs> to the future. And some of them are absolutely real prank phone calls. Uh, and then the last part is the sound slice. And this is just, I, I don't know, like, you know, people go on vacation, they take photos. I take audio. I bring an audio recorder 
everywhere I go. And I, I, yeah, I take pictures too, but I want to like capture the sound of a space. So in the sound slice part, I just say, let me set the scene for you. And I explain where I am, wherever in the world I am, what I'm doing. And then I play about 30 seconds of that sound. What kind of prank phone calls have you done? Uh, well, the, the real prank phone call I did was to the sex advice guy, Dan Savage. I <laughs> I called in character uh, as this um, former ex-gay who wasn't comfortable with anal sex and he was told that he wasn't really he hasn't really regayed himself until he has anal sex and really likes it uh, and so I I called in and 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 Dan Savage took the call and and gave as as he often does gives an answer that is both wise uh, and obnoxious at the same time and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I love Dan Savage. That's amazing. And he took it seriously. He totally took it seriously. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. That's great. Okay. I just realized that I have not taken my antipsychotic meds. And so let me do that before this show progresses any further. <laughs> okay, we're good. And that was not, in fact, a joke, people. That was actually real. I did actually have, I have real mental health issues and I have real meds that I have to take for them and I forgot to take them. So now we're good. I will not be on the roof in a wedding gown, you know, with a chainsaw. So what I want to do is play one of your episodes. So this is the very first episode and it's called Naked Mugging. It's a very, you know, your episodes are like these amazing little short you know, productions, 15 minutes. It kind of reminds me of like the audio super gay version of Robot Chicken. <laughs> I love Robot Chicken. Oh I do gosh. too. I love Robot Chicken. And so it's just like these, these, it's very like Cartoon Network plus gay in this little <laughs> vignette. And I think it's brilliant. So let's go ahead and play the first uh, episode of Bubble and Squeak. It is called Naked Mugging. Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano, and this is Bubble and Squeak, a podcast with uncanny sounds, funny interludes, and stories. Most weird, many true. Okay, here's episode one. Our show today comes in three parts. Part one, a true story about when I realized I wanted to live. It's entitled, Is That All You Got? Part two is a prank call to the past. And part three, a sound slice. Is that all you got? A true story. It was about 2002. I had been out of the closet just a very few years, moved to Hartford, Connecticut. I was out, but, well, I was out. And I was out cruising, looking for someone for sex. I'll be honest, it was for sex. And I saw this guy. I was at this spot you would pull up in your car and sit there and see people. And I saw this guy. He he had a baseball cap slung over his head. You could barely see his face, but he looked grisly handsome in a pickup truck. Through the various means, we communicated, and he agreed to follow me home. I drove worried that he would uh, chicken out. But no, he followed me all the way to my quiet street in Hartford, 
We climbed the stairs. I lived on the third floor. My dad once said, you wouldn't want to be drunk on these stairs. They were very windy and twisty. And opened up the door to my attic apartment. It's tiny. In fact, he was a bit surprised. And he's like, "Uh, this is it? I was like, yeah, yeah. I pointed to a chair, a Barcelona chair that I had set up in the corner. He plopped down, spread his legs. I went over to him and I put my head towards his crotch and I felt him touching my head, but then I felt something hard and cold. He said, this is how it's going to work. He had a pistol at my temple. He said, I want you to take off all your clothes and then get bags and give me everything that's valuable. I have body issues on a good day with a, <laughs> a pistol pointed at me. It, was, um, it wasn't so hard to get out of my clothes, actually. Uh, and I did. And I went through the motions. I took off my clothes. I, I grabbed a bag. I felt bad. I didn't want to use it. It was one that my mom had given me, but I didn't want to argue with a man with a gun. So I began to put my objects in. I didn't have a lot, actually. I had a, well, I had a, 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 a Apple laptop that was expensive. There was a Bose wave radio. There was, the, yeah, that was about it. Cell phone. I had a cell phone. And I put all those things in there. And he then looked at me and says, is that all you got? I was like, um, well, I've got this watch. And I did. It was, a, it was a sharper image watch, very clean face. And he says, no, no, I don't, I don't want that. And I was offended. I was like, wait a minute. This is a nice watch. I paid good money for this watch. He says, no, I don't want this watch. And I began to pull out other objects, uh, some clothes, some Xenia, uh designer clothes. No, I, I can't do anything with clothes. And the strange thing is, as this took place... I became more and more relaxed, like strangely relaxed, because there I am completely naked with a mugger, with a gun, walking around my apartment, and I got calmer and calmer. So calm, in fact, that I could tell he was getting uncomfortable with how relaxed I was, how I was bantering with him in some ways as we walked around the apartment. Finally, I had everything packed up that was valuable. And he said, okay, this is how it's going to work. Put your clothes on and walk downstairs in front of me. When you get downstairs, I want you to turn right and go to the end of the block. Do not look back. And when you come back, do not contact the police. I know where you live. So I did. I walked down the street, feeling the adrenaline, feeling angry angry that this guy said, like, I can't call the police. I was like, excuse me, you just stole all my stuff. You can't take everything from me. Got to the end of the block, turned around and came back, immediately went to my landlord. It was a gay guy. And I told him exactly what happened. And I said, we need to call the police. What was strange about the whole incident was that I was so calm. And I realized I was calm because I knew I wanted to live. I knew that I needed to remain calm or else it would be disastrous. 
But this surprised me because up until that point, I wasn't completely certain that I wanted to live. There was a part of me that that was so tired from years of conversion therapy, from years of living in a bunker-like closet, that I wasn't quite sure I wanted to live. I wasn't going to take my life, but I fantasized about being in a situation like this and thought, well, if it happened, but it did happen, and there was no way I was going to let it destroy me. I realized at that moment that, no, I don't know what my life's going to look like, but I need to get through this, whatever it takes. And that relaxed me because I wanted to live. General Stahl, Elijah Heimbach speaking. How may I help you? Yes, I wonder if you carry any tofu. Tofu? Oh, oh something wrong with your feet. We have uh, ointments, balms, liniments. So what exactly are you looking for? It's not for my toe. It's tofu. It's, um, it's a bean curd. Bean curd? Uh, hold on. Uh, Jedediah? Jedediah, do you have any other bean curd? Ah. I'm afraid not. We have cottage cheese. We have other dairy products as well. Um, of course, only for pregnant mothers, nursing mothers, and small children. Do you have any small children in the household? No, I'm afraid not. Uh, no, not not at the moment. Anything else I can help you with? Sure. By any chance, do you carry kombucha? Kombucha? What on earth is kombucha? It's a fermented tea. I think it comes from Korea or maybe Japan. Japan, good God, man, we're at war with the Japanese. Be careful. I, I'm sorry, it's it's not actually imported from Japan. It's um, it's a process. I I actually don't even know how they make it, but it's like a it's a tea thing. All right. Well, anything else I can help you with? No, that's okay. I'll I'll just look somewhere else. Thank you. Well, listen, I have a few other hard to get products. If you come around after closing, come around the back. I'll ask for Elijah. I might be able to help you with a thing or two.
And now a sound slice. Let me set the scene. It's Manila, Philippines, right after Christmas. It's a work day, but it's very festive. We're on a tricycle. It's a motorcycle with a large sidecar, uh, and my husband Glenn and I are squeezed into the sidecar. Glenn's about six foot three, so he is doubled over. We're riding through the streets, weaving in and out of traffic, going past all sorts of stores that are selling Christmas decorations and food, people in flip-flops, and lots of motorcycles. You've been listening to Bubbling Squeak with me, Peterson Toscano. I host and produce the show. I make it really just for myself. Oh, and my friend Jane, who's not alive, but still with me. Our theme song is Worthless by Jelly Rocks from the album Bang and Whimper. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. You also heard Inside Out by Eleven D7 from the album Rad Science. You can find more of my work over at petersontoscano.com. I do videos, blog posts, podcasts. Yeah, I'm involved in some other podcasts. I host and produce Citizens Climate Radio, and I co-host the Bible Bash podcast with Liam Hooper. Check them out sometime. And thanks for listening. I love that. That's great. Oh, thank you. I think what I like so much about what you do is how you're just unapologetically queer in in like everything you do <laughs> and and I love how you I don't know I I love how you capture these kind of iconic queer experiences for your generation you're an elder gay I'm a younger gay I won't ask you how old you are on air but you whippersnapper <laughs> but you, you know I you capture you, you talk about a lot of these kind of iconic coming-of-age gay experiences that were iconic for your generation. Now, you know, hooking up on Grindr is like what my generation does. Mm-hmm. But it used to be that cruising... No, are we talking about... Yes, we... Yeah. yeah. You, you talk about cruising in, in that episode and how it goes very, very, very wrong. And I love how unapologetic and shameless you are about it. Because I think that... I don't know. A lot of people still experience a lot of shame about the the these gay stories that they right. might have. And you know, and and so I I kind of feel like your show and a lot of what you do is just being completely unapologetic about your own gay story, your own queer experiences. So so that maybe other queer people who are working through that can listen and um and connect that to their own queer experiences and maybe feel a little less shame about it. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about because I remember those days that, you know, I would I would go out cruising and then the next day I would say to myself or to somebody, I was really bad last night. Uh, and right. you know, it's like, me, okay, me too. Well, if, it's, if it's bad, then don't do it. Um, but if you like intentionally wanted to go out and do it, 
then do it and don't be don't be ashamed of it. It's you know it's what you wanted and and I think it's it maybe strange. It maybe because I'm a Quaker that I've learned to to detach a little bit and just kind of just look at something without judgment, without yeah. um you know without a critique and just say huh okay so I went out you know, that night and I did this and how do I feel about that? And is that what I really wanted or did I want something else? And by just doing that help has helped me so much to be much more honest about my behavior and to really be, you know, much clearer to myself, like, what do I really want and what do I really need? Yeah. And finding humor in it too, you know, like like so (laughs) many, so many of these LGBT experiences for me, I mean, this is cathartic for me, and it this might not be cathartic for other queer people, but like for me, being able to step back and look at some of the most terrifying and tragic and awkward gay experiences I've ever had in my life, you know, conflicts with family or an HIV scare that I had or and having to go get tested, being able to take a step back and find humor in that <laughs> in some way. If I'm being able to find the comedy and being able to just accept it for what it is, that it's this incredibly complex piece of human experience that contains humor, but also some heartbreak and also some trauma and also some terror. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I think that's really, really, really cathartic. So you don't just talk about queer stuff. You have also been a climate activist for the past several years how many years mm-hmm. quite a you know yeah, probably since probably longer than i've been alive no, right not that long yeah. <laughs> no i'm kidding um, Child. Uh, yeah 2013 i, I started uh, doing climate work seriously fantastic yeah, yeah so your show is like this i don't know i love it because it's this bizarre mishmash of queer stories and like prank phone calls and climate activism and sound slices from foreign countries. And I just think it's brilliant. I think it's great. Well, and what's really fun for me is like that story, the naked mugging story, I got so much responses from it. I mean, people were were like, yeah. like for them, it was like chilling. They were like, oh my gosh, this was like, you know, they were really moved by it. But it got me thinking about it. And I listen to it again what I what I recorded and I thought about all the things I left out mm. uh, and then later on in a future episode uh, you know people then hear me have questions for the mugger like if I could go back and talk to him what are my questions that's cool and and that like that you know that, I don't think I would have thought of those questions if I I didn't have that opportunity I I do remember it was at the same cruise spot I do remember like the really first time I asserted myself as a gay man unashamedly it was right after 9/11 and this spot where you know I met this guy often there were just a bunch of cars sitting there and people would be in their cars or outside of their cars and and every now and then the police would sweep through. And so this mm-hmm. one time the police swept through and I just refused to get back in my car. I mean, I was fully clothed and everything, but I'm like sitting on my the hood of my car and the, the officers okay, stop, pull up. Stop. I am imagining you just like <laughs> in New York, unclothed, sitting on the hood of your car, just being like, fuck you. <laughs> I, th- I 
I had a t-shirt and shorts on. These okay, short good. shorts, actually. Very and so good. The, the, the police roll up and, and you know, they're, they're clearly there to harass the gay men or who are hooking up for sex. And I just said to them, it's like, don't you people have some terrorists to catch? I mean, aren't there real crimes <laughs> you need to be investigating? And it was so funny because they were just so cowed by that. They were so used to guys being ashamed that they just right. looked embarrassed and they drove away. Right. Okay, so that really speaks to the power of not being ashamed of our stories as queer yeah. people. Yeah. You know, and I, I read a book several years ago about Stonewall, and this was, oh gosh, this was, I don't even know how long ago now, 10 years ago, and it was when I was just, you know, I was coming out and kind of trying to sort through my my sexuality and I decided that I needed to read some books about queer history. So I got this book about Stonewall. And what really struck me about Stonewall, and this is, you know, from my, this is just from my memory. And if I'm not remembering this correctly, then, you know, someone who actually knows about this shit can correct me. But how Stonewall happened when, because, you know, Stonewall was one of those gay clubs where the police would routinely harass them. Right, routinely right. and and the the kind of posture of a lot of gay men and but not just gay men all, just, just the lgbt spectrum as a whole you know uh, mm. queer people of color and trans people and so on was to just take it was to right. just you know because it, we you know out we the the queer community the lgbt community felt powerless in the face of that harassment and they would you know they the police would routinely do these raids on the gay clubs and arrest everyone and harass everyone just all the time routinely and stonewall happened when it was primarily trans people and queer people of color mm -hmm. who stood up and said no we're not going to take this harassment anymore mm -hmm. and you know it was another raid and instead of just taking it they fought back and it was right. like this I, this incredible, iconic moment of uh, not being ashamed of our story, not being mm -hmm. ashamed of who we are and our story and our identity. And so I think that in our own way, whenever, whenever a gay person, whenever an LGBT person or a trans person or a non-binary person just doesn't take that abuse anymore and does exactly what you did. <laughs> like, don't you have some terrorists to arrest? <laughs> it's almost like we're, it's almost like we're living a, our own little mini stone wall over right. all over again. Y yeah. And as I was coming out, it just, that became clearer and clearer to me. And I realized that if I'm ashamed of myself, I give people permission to treat me shamefully. I mean, it's not about blaming the victim, but it's, it's like creating an atmosphere where it's mm. okay because I'm doing it to myself, so you can do it to me too. And I'm right. like, no, I refuse right. to do that anymore. Yeah, and in no way is that giving permission to the abuser to be an abuser, but it is, you know, yeah, I totally hear what you're saying with that. Yeah, well, I, you know, one of my favorite uh, things I did with uh, Bubble and Squeak comes up later on in a later episode, but it's my um, Grinder Jesus uh, piece, <laughs> which I, I was really trying to recreate the sound of, you know, a YouTuber, a young YouTuber. Uh, and so like I, you know, intentionally edited it really with shortcut edits and, you know, kind of a different sound quality. Yeah. But it's this this gay guy who goes on Grinder and he meets 
Jesus, like the actual Jesus <laughs> on Grinder, and uh, and I, I'm just I'm really happy with that. But that came from a, an actual thing. I led a retreat once for uh, mostly gay male Christians, white, you know, again who lived with a lot of the shame, and they were out, but still were so squishy about sex and stuff. So one yeah. of the activities I had us do was I said. Uh, we're going to create a, a grinder profile. Fuck each profile. other. You just the activity <laughs> that you had them do. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> we're going to create a grinder profile for Jesus, and um, the only how it's going to work is we can't put anything until we have complete consensus that we agree with every field, like including height and weight and ethnicity. And boy, did they struggle with that. And it was the struggle that was important for them to see because mm. they they were all on Grinder themselves for the most part. Yet of to course. think of yeah. their savior on Grinder, it's like, well, you know, you know, people are on Grinder for lots of reasons, not necessarily just for sex. You know, like what is he looking for? And it was really telling. And so that got me thinking, you know, and, and it got this Chad character to to discover Jesus on Grinder. That's awesome. I. Love that. So you talk a lot about uh, your queerness, but also your faith and and your religion, your religious identity. You are a Quaker. You call yourself a quirky queer Quaker. I've, so last time we talked, uh, we I, I was like, I need to come up with the satanic equivalent of that. And I think I've come up with a satanic socialist sodomite. Um, nice. Good. Yeah. 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 Do you think that works? We, yeah, I, yeah. I'm thinking of putting that on my business card, Satanic Socialist Sodomite, or Socialist Satanic Sodomite. Anyway, um, so you talk about your religious identity and your queerness quite a bit in, in, in such a way that really indicates that these are deeply, though, how do I want to put this? They are very deep parts of yourself that you, that, I get the impression you feel like are equally part of who you are. Could you talk mm -hmm. some about the interaction between your queerness and your Quakerness? Yeah. Well, like lots of gay men who and, and women who've been through conversion therapy, I was under the impression could, that you... Could we back up real fast and just define for the uninitiated what conversion therapy is? It's fucked up. <laughs> Yes, it is. Oh, no. I'm sorry. That, that's, the, um, that's the Urban Dictionary uh, uh, definition. No, the conversion therapy is um, <laughs> therapies and programs and ministries that are designed to try to cure people of sexual attraction uh, and gender differences. And so it's basically like pray away the gay you may have heard of. And I was involved in those crazinesses for uh, 17 years where I was deeply pursuing a cure to being gay which failed gloriously. Yeah, and we have a great conversation about that that we did back in like 2017 or 2018, like yeah. eons ago now. Mm -hmm. um, but that was a great episode and you should all go check it out. It is uh, specifically about uh, recovering from conversion therapy. Anyway, okay, go on. Yeah, we actually have a film uh, doing time in the Homo Nomo Halfway House, a comedy, which is <laughs> available so great. on Amazon Prime. So you can just check it out there. It is so great. Okay, sorry, go on. I'm sorry, I'm an elder queer. I forgot what we were talking about. So the relationship between your queerness oh, and that, your Quakerness. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I was like under the um, misrepresentation or misunderstanding that you can't be gay and Christian. So all those years, I was trying to crush that gay part of me. 
when I came out gay, I just assumed I couldn't be Christian anymore. And so I attempted to crush the Christian side of me, the faith side of me, and basically package Jesus up and throw him into the closet. I recognize, though, that something was missing for me. And it's, you know, it's not everybody's like this, but I'm just wired for God. I don't know why that is. My life would be so much easier if it weren't true, but that's just true. And I had to be honest about myself and accept that part of me and find a way to integrate that with my sexuality, uh, with other things. And I was so happy I happened upon the Quakers at that time because I would walk into a church, like even a progressive church with rainbow flags flying all over the place. I'd walk in the door and see the pulpit, see the pews, see the hymnals, and I would be traumatized because of all the years of terror I experienced in places that looked like that. But when I walked into a Quaker right. meeting house, the, the entire thing was set up differently. We sat in a circle. There was no pulpit. There was no preacher. And so I didn't have that experience, and it very much valued what people had to say and what they were feeling. So if you had something to share, you didn't have to sit there and be quiet and listen to somebody better than you. Everybody was equal. And that was really extraordinary. And so I found this great place where I could genuinely be myself and, uh, and come out. And that, that's been really great for me. And I'm really happy there. Yeah. You know, even as a, as a non-theist who's kind of, I would say, mostly left the Christian world, I still love the Quakers. It just you know, they've they've kind of been on, you know, with the exception of accidentally creating solitary confinement, they've been on the <laughs> they've been on the front lines of social progress and just some of the most wonderful experiences that I've had personally. And this is kind of after John and I got together, my partner, John and I got together and I was searching for a religious home and just couldn't find one. But we did spend a sometime in the Quakers, in the Quaker, in the Quaker world, and sitting in this old Quaker house in the evening. And it was, it was a bunch of just wonderful kind of Appalachian elderly people just Mm -hmm. sitting in their rocking chairs (laughs) in silence for an hour. And I don't know, there was some, there was something about, and just total acceptance total stillness it's like here is the silence that we're sharing and everyone is welcome to partake in this silence with us everyone can sit in this circle with us and it doesn't matter what you believe it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter who you love you are welcome Mm. to come and be in silence with us and just sitting with like these wise old appalachian grandmas and, and grandpas in their rocking chairs it, it it was like, I don't know what it was about that experience, but it was just so beautiful and so cathartic for me. Well, what I appreciate too about the Quakers is they have been very willing to learn and to change. So like, you know, you mentioned they started solitary confinement and what they were doing in Philadelphia, they were trying to reform the prisons because they were such a mess back in colonial times where they would have Mm. men and women in the same prison. And like, it was just horrible conditions. So they began to reform and they thought that maybe people need some time to reflect because they found the practice of sitting in silence so powerful. But what they didn't realize that you can't really do that by yourself. It needs to be done in a group. And so they came up with this thing that was supposed to help people become penitent. uh, And it ended up really 
being horrible. But what's great, mm-hmm. I think, about the Quakers is they own it. And so now the American Friends Service Committee, which is uh, the social justice arm of Quakers, one of their biggest endeavors they've been doing for years now is to um, undo solitary confinement and to speak out against it. That's great. And this has been true in so many issues. I mean, Quakers are known as abolitionists, you know, against slavery, but they weren't originally. Quakers owned slaves in, you know, in the 1600s, early 1700s. And there was this wild, young, the wild Quaker guy, uh, uh, who, uh, Benjamin Lay, who was um, a dwarf, uh, he was a disabled and a dwarf and a performance artist of his, out of his own right. And he would stand up in these Quaker meetings and rail against his fellow Quakers for owning slaves. And they mm. just thought he was crazy. But within a generation, uh, they changed. And it came to the point where you couldn't be a Quaker anymore if you had slaves and if you upheld a slave. And, and you know, and the LGBT friends have learned this too. Like it's first, it was like cis, gay, and lesbian, and they struggled at first with trans people. But um, you know, as early as the you know the '90s, they were like coming around and listening to stories. And and I, I find that Quakers in the U.S. are the like the most wildly welcoming places for trans people and have trans people in leadership. And you know, and so I, I appreciate that. And it's it's great to be able to say, okay, I I totally got it wrong. Let's let's change this. One hundred percent. Yeah. And I don't know it. I think that there are some religious communities and some religious traditions that are more mature than others. You know, I think that there are some religious communities that are very toxic and very immature. You know, maybe they're like going through their 13 year old stage <laughs> or well, whatever. And I think or their toddler of, stage. I think part know? of it, though, is that like often it's like one or two people who are running it. So you only can go as far as that one or two people. But with Quakers, like literally everyone has a say. And if you want to make a decision and pass something, if one person has a problem with it and they say, no, no, I feel very strongly a moral objection to this, it just stops everything. And they have to listen to that person. And, and, you know, most churches, most religious places, there's just that CEO pastor person who uh, pushes things through. And so it only goes as far as that person. You don't get the, the body contributing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's fascinating. And I, I really want to cover more uh, about Quakerism on this show at some point, because just of all the Christian traditions, I, I find myself kind of resonating from afar, like feeling very kindred spirity <laughs> with the Quakers. Okay, so it's something that you mentioned a, a while back, and I want to backtrack to this. So you talk about how later in an episode you talk about the questions that you have for your mugger. What are those questions? What would you ask your mugger? Yeah, so all the questions were closed-ended questions at first, which you know kind of showed that I wanted some control. And so it'd be like, you know, were you sexually aroused? when you did this? I mean, was it purely for robbing purposes or did you get off on this? Uh, was it something sexual for you? Um, was it the first time you had done this before? Uh, have you done, you know, multiple times? Uh, and then I started thinking about the gun, you know, like, had anyone ever pulled a gun on you? Have you ever been shot? And the thing I don't mention in the story when I tell it the first time in episode one is that the mugger was black. And I don't, I don't include that detail when I want to tell the story because I just want it. I want people just to think of a person. And I find that, yeah, I just find that like with, you know, with white people, like telling the story, you know, if I say it's a black guy, it's like kind of 
changes and people don't listen to it in the same way. So I, I realized most of the audience would be white. I just wanted to say there was this mugger, fill in the blank. But I, yeah. but I go back in the second, you know, when I ask the questions and I say, you know, I didn't mention that you were black. And then I think about all of the things that as a black man, he could have been facing, you know, if he was mm. gay, trouble in his own family, trouble with the, with, uh, the police, all, all kinds of things. And, and then even like wondering, like, how did you feel when Barack Obama was elected? You know, like, like that that we share all this weird history and uh, I don't even know this person's name. And, and uh, I think that's the last question I ask. what's your name? That's awesome. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because when I first heard that episode with the, the naked mugging episode, I pictured the mugger as, as a white guy who is also gay, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and kind of, put in i it's funny because i instantly like without realizing it put in this whole different story of kind of gay on gay violence uh-huh. and and because over it, it isn't as bad anymore i don't think but it did used to be that there was quite a bit of uh gay on gay violence yeah. uh and and so to me i instantly thought of this being a story about that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know one of my goals with those stories is um, I want to be as vulnerable and honest as possible. And all of those stories, like the, you know, naked mugging, um, they, they all start with a question. I mean, that, that it's entitled with a question. And I think that one is, um, is that all you got? There's another one that comes down a little bit later is, uh, did you just masturbate? And these are all real I was just questions. about to bring that one up, yes. <laughs> They're all real questions that are part of the story and uh that you know that's that's an important part of it uh and and I, then i can balance it out with some of the more comic stuff in the the central the the middle part of, of it the the most recent episode i've produced is bigger love which actually is my first uh attempt at a radio drama with with other actors besides myself and there were two college okay. students who read this play i wrote for um for uh, a big contest that I won. And so they, they read it and then I added all the sound effects and all it's a gay couple living in an apartment who they have to take in all of these refugee queers because there was a big storm and people got displaced and everyone's just on top of each other. And these two can't get off because just everyone is there. And so there's all these <laughs> ten- tensions going on and it's called bigger love. So I'm, I'm like, I'm glad I have this playground to just kind of do these things and experiment with this stuff. And at the end of the day, I mostly am making this show for me. I want something that when I'm, you know, just need to listen to something just to calm me down, like, let me listen to my own episode of Bubble and Squeak. <laughs> and, and, I, and I also make it every episode for a friend, living or dead. And I think like, what would that person want in a show? And so really, it's just for the two of us. And if other people enjoy it, that's awesome but that's my goal is to to make it for myself and for one other friend that's beautiful i love that and yeah and so i think that storytelling serves this really amazing purpose so c.s lewis is credited with saying i don't know if he actually said this but so this might be apocryphal but i he's credit i've heard him credited with saying we read stories so that we know we aren't alone you know, I think that that's why people listen to podcasts, because I think a lot of people out there are really fucking lonely. 
You know, I think mm-hmm. that we're in the middle of a loneliness epidemic. And I think that the human condition has always been one of struggling with loneliness, that we have kind of these bodies that feel detached from other bodies and mm-hmm. from other minds. And so we're constantly striving to bridge this chasm between ourselves and others. And just having stories out there about weird, quirky, embarrassing experiences. We all have them. You know, like we all have, not all of us, but a lot of us have, uh, you know, some kind of sex drive. A, A lot of us have sexual experiences. Not all of us, but some of us. And a lot of those sexual experiences are weird and awkward, (laughs) you know? And just telling stories about that is so good. I'm giggling over here because I'm thinking about that Dan Savage thing, which was comedy, but it was based on a real story. And it's when I first came out after being ex-gay for years and having survived AIDS, where we all were terrified of anal sex. I, um... I was feeling kind of anxious because I wasn't felt, I didn't feel ready. And so I went to this local, I called it the Gay Emporium. It was like this, it was in Hartford, Connecticut, this gay store, which sold porn and all sorts of other stuff. It wasn't exactly like a sex shop. It was kind of a weird thing that I don't think exists in the world anymore. I went in there and I bought a, um, a marital aid, a prosthetic device, a a dildo. (laughs) Excellent. And it, um, it it had the name Samson. It was called Samson. <laughs> so you can only imagine the girth and the length. The girth, the girth and width of Samson. So, but then what happened? I brought it home and I just totally panicked. And so, like, I just kind of left it on the kitchen table because I just didn't know what to do with it. And kind of like it kept me company through the week. But then finally, at the end of the week, I'm like. All right, let's let's see what we can do. And um, you know, I I slathered him with lube and tried to relax, but like <laughs> I, I just like he wasn't going anywhere. I mean, like the gates to the kingdom were shut tight. <laughs> and I I just kind of panicked. I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe I am rejecting being gay. Maybe you know. But then I realized, you know, <laughs> just sometimes your eyes are bigger than your anus. <laughs> I fucking love that. That's great. So, so in, through a character, that's basically the story I I present to Dan Savage that's, to say like, what, what do you think great. about this? <laughs> no, and like we all have a story like that. Like we all, for those of us who who have sex drives and and who want to be sexual, um, we all have like a weird, awkward coming of age sex story that just makes us cringe when we think about it. And I think just telling those stories is so great. I I remember telling, I'm not going to tell this story right now, but I will tell it on air sometime. It's going to have to be a special event. Like, but I remember, so Matt, Matt Langston is one of my very best friends and, and he produces our shows and he's the owner of Rock Candy Recordings and he does all the music for our shows. And, um, oh yeah, a lot of the show, a lot of the music that you feature is from Eleven D Seven. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. He's, he's great. But I remember just, we were in the studio together, just working on sound stuff. And suddenly I think of this story. And I just look at him and I'm like, Matt, 
I'm about to tell you a story that no one has ever heard. <laughs> and, and I and I told him this story about the most mortifying sex experience that I've ever had in my life. And uh, that is a teaser mm-hmm. for the future mm-hmm. at some mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll maybe I'll release that for the patrons. If you go support me on Patreon, That's go right. to Steve. <laughs> Go to a certain <laughs> level, then you, then the story comes out. Then the story comes out. If you give me five dollars a month, you know, I'll I'll uh, I'll pimp my sex stories out for you. <laughs> Just give me that Patreon money. All right. Um. So, uh, I think that's it. I think I. Is there anything else that you want to add? Well, of course, every time I get you on on the line, I feel like we have to make up for lost time, and we can talk for hours, but. Well, you, um, you reminded me of something when you said, like, you know, people, you know, like why stories are important and people, you know, are lonely. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of podcasts where it's just people, friends talking, uh, exactly. like inglorious pastors and a bunch of them. And that's not my style. Typically, um, you know, I'm really a bit of a loner in lots of ways. I'm a, much of an introvert. But I, um, I am experimenting with a new show that might become a rock candy show uh, where it's a conversation between me and a new friend that I've, I've developed this friendship and we are completely different people. She's a heterosexual woman younger than me, a born again Christian. uh, And we got to know each other at the YMCA pool because we do water walking. We end up having the most extraordinary and hilarious, weird conversations about life and trauma and the Bible. And we decided to bring a recorder into the pool, and we've begun to record these. (laughs) And and we're thinking of a podcast called um, The Deep End. And it would be conversations from the deep end of the pool. Uh, And so far, I've got a lot of audio that I've been just listening to and just seeing, you know, could this be a show? So stay tuned for the deep end. Absolutely. I fucking love that. That would be great. Yeah, just and and when you get the um, and when you come to a decision about that, definitely let me and Matt know, because I think that would be perfect for Rock Candy. candy. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that would be great. All righty. Okay. Well, I think that's I think that's everything. And uh, happy Monday, everyone. And I hope your week is beautiful. And uh, I'm so glad that you've spent some time with me and Peterson today. And uh, we love you so much. And as always, the music for this show is by Eleven D Seven and the Jelly Rocks. You can find their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. The artwork is by Ramakrishna Das, and this show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and is a production of Rock Candy Media. And as always, hail Satan. <laughs> <laughs>